Hey kids, be sure to listen all the way through to the end for my weekly movie pick and review. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Jonathan Strayton, for another podcast, Tales from the Set. How's everyone doing this fine evening or morning? I guess it'd be morning if you're listening to it in the morning, though I record it in the evening because I guess I'm more of a night owl, even though I do get up early. I don't mind getting up early. And the juices flow in the morning, you know, as far as being creative. But they just seem more so at night. I think because, I don't know, everyone's asleep. It feels like I'm alone. And just, I can just let the imagination run wild, I guess. That's kind of why I think I enjoyed filming NOS so much, because we did it at night. And we started shooting when the sun went down, and then, you know, one, two, three in the morning, you feel like you're the only people on the planet, you know, and what you're doing is the only thing that's going on. It's, it's kind of a cool feeling. And tonight's whiskey is brought to you by, well, no, actually, they're not a real sponsor. I don't want to get in trouble, but uh, it's Bullet... Uh, aged 10 years. It's uh, actually pretty good. My brother-in-law got it for me. I know what you're thinking. A lot of these podcasts, you're like, yeah, this guy drinks a lot, but I don't digest. It's just a nightcap. And Also, I try and be healthy despite the big bowl, or okay, two bowls of ice cream I had earlier tonight. Um... You know, I, I used to be a big beer drinker, and then I was trying to drink something that was a little more healthier. You know, like red wine, it has antitoxins, in it, and it fights cancer cells and all that. But I felt like a, like, a, like a fag drinking wine, red wine. And, and not like a fag, like, you know, like a... Well, but I'm not homophobic, but you know, back in my day, it's how you describe someone who's acting like a fag. They were a fag. So, but I think most of you get what I mean. So, but I still drank red wine. You know, I still needed something to kind of give me that buzz, take the load off in the evening, a nightcap. But I was doing some research, and actually, no. I think Ron told me about it. He forwarded, yeah, he did. He forwarded me the link, and then I on forwarded to my my uh, brother-in-law that whiskey or single malt whiskey, which can be found in some Irish whiskeys, but mainly Scotch, found a new study that it had more of the antitoxin, cancer-fighting agents in it than red wine, almost twice as much. So I was like, oh, give whiskey a 
or scotch. I tried scotch, and scotch has a weird kind of aftertaste. Tastes kind of good. You know, I, I tried different, and I, um, Johnny Walker was one I liked, but uh, I like a weird kind of woody or, uh, you know, like clear septic uh, throat spray kind of aftertaste to it. So I wasn't crazy about it. So, But also you could get the same benefits from whiskey, namely, you know, uh, the small batch stuff or single barrel, you know, pretty much good whiskey in moderation. So I switched to whiskey. Um, wow. I think it's been a year now, a little over a year, and I love it. Every time I go to the store, I try different whiskeys. I love having a different variety. Um, right now, I think my favorite is Knob Creek Single Barrel. Really powerful. I've had some powerful whiskeys, but this one is powerful, but it doesn't have that kick that some of the others do. It, it's really smooth going down. So... Um, and this weekend I went camping and I had Knob Creek's maple, uh, maple whiskey, smoked maple. And I'm not much on the sweet liqueurs at all, really. As a matter of fact, I wish I had bought a single Knob Creek. I would have cut it with it, you know, mixed half Knob Creek regular and half the maple. But it was better than some of the sweeter ones I've had, like the wild turkey honey and the, um, Jack Daniels honey which were way too sweet this one was actually pretty strong um and not as sweet but still a little sweet for my taste after a while but it's one of those whiskeys that's kind of good for the you know holidays and camping like i said so and this is a podcast about whiskey no okay so um what i've been up to on the production side um I've been working very hard on Night of Something Strange, mainly in the effects department and after effects, that is, with my digital effects. Um, we had some some scenes, a uh, scene when they arrive at the hotel. Um, it, some scenes, it was started raining pretty heavy, and then others, it didn't. Um, it was off and on, so I had to go and recreate rain to match it all, since I, it was easier to recreate rain than take out the other rain, so, but, um, I added all the elements, rain, you know, the ripples, the drops dripping off, uh, you know, certain things, and, uh, the steam that would rise from the ground, so overall I'm pretty happy, I don't think you'll be able to tell the difference. Um, but now that I've said something, everyone will be looking for it, and maybe they will. So that's a problem when a fellow peer does something that is uh, something creative that um, not a lot of people do. They're kind of judged for it or felt it has to be criticized, you know, like fellow peer, you know. He, he can't do anything better than I can do, so let me tear his shit apart. Um, for filmmakers out there, you know what I mean. So, uh, so working on that. Uh, like I said, I went camping this weekend. I got some cool footage with the the uh, two forty frame rate slow motion on the iPhone. 
uh, first time messing with it. Really cool stuff. Um, I'll upload it to my uh, YouTube channel and Vimeo tomorrow sometime. Um, and spoke with a client who I had done the video for, the high-profile client. Um, I'm not at liberty to say yet, but they loved the video. It was a success at the roast. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go see it, but that is what I've been told. Um, and... Um, I filmed some inserts for NOS. Um, I know it's, geez, three years I'm still filming shit. Well, first of all, fuck you. No. I, I wanted to, there's some shots I wasn't happy with, so I want to try some different things and, you know. So, um, uh, I, I got a GoPro camera, a buddy of mine let me uh, borrow his and it was pretty cool I think I'm going to buy one for myself um, you know I got to uh, attach it to a car and do some you know driving shots while I got to use the GoPro app on my phone and I could you know watch it the the playback so it was pretty cool got to do some cool things with the GoPro and in a truck and whatnot and I got to do some you know cool cool uh filmmaking tricks that i once um the movie's done i'll do an audio commentary and i'll point them out they're pretty cool and i'm i'm uh, i'm proud that uh i was able to come up with something to fill gaps or later things that you know i would cut and say hey you know it's missing something it's missing this so rather than rush this out i'm gonna go film this and then add it in and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but uh for the most part some of the things i'm able to fake i've been pretty happy with so i'm actually anxious to reveal those after the movie's done and undo them like a uh i'm sure there's several audio commentaries or behind the scenes kind of pointing it out um so that you can see what you know what you got tricked into believing and then you can use those elements towards your project and see that um, sometimes you don't know, need to get the whole cast out and go back to the original location three hours away and wait for that time of day and all the exact same wardrobe to, to reshoot something. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of imagination. So, and hopefully you'll be able to apply it to yours as because let me tell you something 10 years ago i would have never thought i would have been like eh, we can't fake this shot we've gotta get the gas back out you know but um that's something actually ron taught me on his set when he did inserts for mainly like clay because all of those scenes that i'm acting in uh, opposite actors they are acting opposite the original actor, Will, that, that Ron wound up firing. And most of my scenes, I'm acting, you know, uh, someone's just reading lines to me off, off camera. And then Ron was able to match the lighting and cut all those together as if we were performing those scenes together. So some of those actors, I, I, I barely got to even 
kind of work with on some of those scenes. So it was pretty wild when he was doing it. I was like, what? How's this going to work? And then when he cut it together, it was almost as if I was there. You can't tell the difference. Which made sense. He was happy with the shots and performances he got on the other end. So it would, you know... It was smart, you know, to do that. I probably would have had to reshoot the the whole thing because I'm OCD. And but uh, what he did was uh, was smart, and it looks great. You can't tell; it looks awesome. So, anyway, that's about it um, with what I've been up to. That is so. Um, let's dive into an old tale. From back in the day, um, it was about 2006, seven, going into seven, yeah, seven. Um, I was doing two plates and had a really tough time working with the majority of the cast and crew. Um, these guys weren't actors or filmmakers they weren't used to the time frames and the amount of work that went into it everyone's always like hey let me know when you're doing your next movie i'd love to be a part in it let me tell you something when they are on set in that first day of work and they see how much work it is they have no interest to ever do it again um so and that's kind of a bunch of these guys um so it was a pain in the ass i really Really had to fight and butt heads with these guys to get this movie finished. So, and at the same time, I thought, hey, it'd be cool to produce a movie while I'm directing one. So I was producing uh, Tim Tim Reaper's film, uh, his first film, Lights, Camera, Dead. Um, and I thought, hey, while I'm doing that, let me go ahead and act in Clay in New York. So... Um, which wouldn't have been a, as big deal, but my character shaves his head, and I was playing an actor in two. I was playing a character in two plates, and I was playing a the lead in Lights Camera Dead, where my hair was, you know, my my usual kind of, you know, medium length. So there's some scenes in Lights Camera Dead that I'm wearing a hat. And that's because my head, my hair is really, really short. And there are other times we had to wait till it grew back out to film. Another reason a lot of that took so long. But nonetheless, I was having a blast. I was working on numerous projects, having a great time. Um, and I had to go out for reshoots, and which means I had to shave my head again for... Um, for Clay, actually not reshoots, but he wanted to get some shots in the springtime. So um, when it warmed up, because we originally shot in February in the winter, <clears throat> and then um, we had done lights, camera dead. We pretty much wrapped on it, and we watched the rough cut, and we realized there was there were some major plot holes in it. And also, it wasn't quite the length that we wanted. It was a little on the short side. So we had some uh, serious writing sessions. We, myself and Timmy and his wife Monica, who's who's a writer, um, we got together and just had some you know crazy writing sessions and 
uh, was, you know, just working on various uh, kinks and writing kind of new parts, adding stuff. We added a whole beginning to the film, uh, which happens. It was uh, it was their first film, and you know, you sometimes you know you have a short script and you're like, yeah, it's 35 pages, but Sam Raimi did it, Evil Dead on 35 pages, so that means I can. And really what that means is you can't, because that's what happened. Um, we thought we had a script, and we thought, you know, 35 pages, the action was summed in a sentence, which we knew would take a couple minutes, when it really is seconds. So that was the first uh, first learning lesson. But I was already in my second film, and I had met the director um, uh, through uh, work, we had worked for the same company, and he had come to my premiere, Big Fish in Middlesex. And then it was funny because he was working on a film, and I was just so eager to meet and collaborate with other filmmakers that I was, you know, like, hey, let's get together, let's get together. And he never followed through, but he did come to my premiere. And then after that, I guess he, he was like, this guy can get a movie done, so I need to get him on my project. And so that, that's kind of how we hooked up. Um, also, I had taken a huge promotion at work, and even though I, did, I was almost not going to do it, they were interviewing um, for a higher-up position. My boss was leaving, and I decided at the last minute, I was like, you know what, I put my mouth you know, uh, where my money is, or my money where my mouth is, excuse me, <clears throat> because I... I was always, you know, saying, hey, you know, if I was the boss, this is how I would run shit. And I was like, you know what? I don't know if I can be the boss and do it how I that how I would want it. So I decided last minute to get an interview. And um, our, my RVP at the time, he fit me in for a lunch interview, and I got the position. So it was awesome. Got to run the show. But also that meant with great power... There's a hell of a lot more responsibility, so that's what happened. So I got all that going on, so it's crazy, you know. I didn't have much of a social life other than hanging out with my buddy Gene who'd come over and, you know, he'd help on the set. He was associate producer, and literally we would always make sure we were, had beer. If we didn't, we'd say, hey, it's 11 o'clock. We're going to be shooting past midnight, which is when they stopped selling beer in the state of Virginia. So we would stop you know, filming and run to the store to get beer. So we had beer after we were done shooting. And we would go home and sit on my back porch and drink beer after beer. I mean, uh, a case uh, you know, uh, we had 12 each, He's smoking cigarettes, just talking and laughing about old times or talking about that night of filming and some of the funny things and stuff like that. Good time. I missed a lot. And then we do the whole, the same thing the next day and on and on and on to the break of dawn. So, um, <clears throat> so what the fuck was I? Oh, so we've done lights, camera, dead. And oh, so I get involved with Timmy and them, and he decides, you know, I think you'd be good for the lead in this. You know, I was like, okay, yeah, I love acting, let's do it. 
but I was also kind of the DP and, you know, the executive producer, obviously, and the kind of know-how to operate all the equipment we're using. That was one of my frustrations because trying to, the sound guy just kept pointing the mic in the woods, which while we were recording with crickets, which was a nightmare in post trying to EQ those sounds out. Um, so there were some mistakes that were made that I had already made on the first film that I was frustrated with because I was trying to teach this new set of filmmakers not to make these mistakes. I was like, guys, you can't make the, I've made these mistakes. I'm saving you, you know, a hard lesson, you know, so let's not do that. But it's tough, you know, Lights, Camera, Dead wasn't my baby, it was theirs, so... You know, they just, they had to, you know, learn the hard way, I guess. Um, you know, for the most part, they, they listen and learn from my experiences, and that's why they brought me on. So, um, I remember one particular night, we were out at this plantation, and it was a, uh, it was this old, like, farmhouse and stuff it was real creepy and it was an awesome setting and stuff and we used to go record at night and shoot all night and uh i remember one time i was so hungry and i remember monica had some sandwiches in the back of her car and i was like i'm starting i'm gonna go grab one of those sandwiches so <clears throat> i ate the sandwich it didn't taste you know too great but it wasn't bad wolfed it down and then so I'm on scene, I'm on, uh, I'm on the scene doing my lines, and I was like, fucking stomach shit, I don't feel too well. And then, um, you know, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, my stomach's just hurting. Monica's like, what would you eat? I said, uh, I had a sandwich that was in the back of your car. And she's like, Jonathan, that sandwich was two days old. It's been in the back of my car. And here we are in August, the hottest month of the whole year. So I proceeded over to a the nearest garbage can and... Spewed. But... Like a champ, I swatted the chunks off my lip and went back to scene and performed. Uh, I don't remember how well, but I, I still performed because I knew that was the most important thing. I always say that. It's like, you know, you, you got to make the most of it. And uh, especially when shooting, never, never break a shot. Always, always try and keep the shot still or perfect if you're operating the camera few examples one of the scenes i was actually i was on the production side and i was shooting i literally was by one of the lights and i literally had probably every farm insect you can think of crawling on one side of my face in and out of my ears and i remained still because like i said don't break the shot any other time i would have swatted those away i would have ran and jumped to the nearest pool <laughs> i would have just freaked out um 
when I was my early 20s and I was doing a lot more production gigs, I was shooting a commercial for a youth hockey group. And I remember I was out there shooting these guys and they were like 13 and 14. And uh, this 14-year-old, you, you know, a big one that looked like he was 18, uh, was coming at me and he was trying to stop on the ice and I was on the ice just with my shoes and he plowed right into me. I mean, I literally like <laughs> flipped over him and, but I was still trying to hold that camera rock steady, you know, trying not to break that shot. I think actually for that instance, I was more concerned with breaking the camera than my elbow or face, but still, I was still trying to keep the shot steady. Um, just because there was a lot, I think I was trying to enforce that because a lot of my friends, when I was doing films, when I was younger, I'd say, here, you're going to be the DP for today. Uh, I don't know how to operate a camera. I was like, just point it at us, you know, I'll adjust the framing. Just don't break the shot. I, I always stress that. And I used my examples of, of, Hey, if I can withstand this, then you can. So don't break the shot. So anyway, a little side note there. So back to Lights, Camera, Dead. So we filmed the majority of it. We realized there's some plot holes. There's not enough. There's some things we need to explain. Let's rewrite some stuff. So we rewrote some great, great stuff. And um, including the Richard Christie scene that's in it. We Originally, that was not in the original script. So that was added. We went up to, we drove up to... Um, uh, Brooklyn, New York, and we met Richard in Queens at one of his favorite restaurants and chilled and chatted with him. And then we went to a studio in Brooklyn that he, because he's also well known for playing the drums pretty well. So we went to, we went to this studio that he would record at and we incorporated, um, or I should say, Monica and Timmy, because they came up with the whole concept of him playing the drums and us seeking him to score the film. So, so that was a pretty good time. Um, Monica and I butt heads a lot. Um, I think because just our mainly, I got maybe our egos. Just you know, Timmy was more you know just passive and just didn't like confrontation where. I think Monica was sometimes I can't I come in on a set someone needs my help and I that's where I feel at home on a set and I'm just you know trying to get things in order and make things happen I mean they have been trying to make a movie happen for four years and nothing happened they didn't even have you know they had less than 10 minutes shot on film and I came within six months we were making a feature you know, so that's what they brought me out for. So I felt, you know, like she was upset because maybe she felt I was taking over when I really was just there to help do what I do and, you know, share the experience and share, you know, the, the mistakes I made to help them not make them and make a better film. But I don't know, whatever it was, we just, we, we, sometimes we loved each other and sometimes we hated each other. Um, she she was a writer on it and we had tons of creative differences where Timmy would be like, Yeah, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. Um and she uh she just she she was a great producer though. She made shit happen. So, um 
it's too bad because I would have liked to work with her on other projects. So, Timmy, who also we would drink with occasionally, Gina and I, actually a little funny side story. So we go to this bar in Shaco Bottom called McCormick's Irish Bar, and we go on St. Patty's Day, of course. And we're drinking, having a good time, and, um, you know, the, the bartender, uh, he was the owner, too. Uh, cool guy. He was all about his locals, because I remember the first couple times he came in there, I literally sat at the bar, and these other people would come up behind me, and he would serve them before me. And then he said, hey, sorry, I serve my local guys first, so, but what can I get you? And then when I became local, you know, he, he would, you know, serve me first, too, so it was really cool. So he had a big you know, uh, St. Patty's Day bash. And he would get up on the bar and he had a mic mic and speakers and he would make announcements and stuff. And he kept making announcements about, hey, guys, there's a a checkpoint, a cop checkpoint uh, going down. I want to say Main Street. It was something like, he gave the crossroad, Main and... We'll say Elm for now, Main and Elm. So you get up there, hey guys, be careful, watch your drinking, please drive safe. And there's a there's a there's a police checkpoint at you know uh, Main and Elm. So uh, be careful. Make sure you have a designated driver. Call your mom, a taxi, whatever you need to do. And if you are driving, I would avoid that checkpoint because they are checking everyone and you will go to jail if you are drunk. So he made this announcement throughout the night, probably every half hour. So every by the time he got up at like one in the morning, I was like, yeah, 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 we know we're not going to go down Main Street. So, okay. So we leave. And um, the next day, Timmy comes over to edit. Typically, he would come over and edit. Um, We'd edit, like, all day. Literally, we'd have, like, two pots of coffee. And then by, I don't know, seven or eight at night, we were so fucking wired on coffee. We had to drink beer just to come down from the caffeine. And then sometimes we needed to go straight to the source, the bar. But anyway, so Gene comes, or Gene, Gene was already there. Gene was staying, actually living with me at the time, I think. He had just got divorced, and he needed a place to stay, so he was staying with me for a while. So Timmy comes over, he's like, man, you guys are going to believe this. I left, I was going home, and was driving down the road, and I was like, yeah, it feels like there's nobody out in the city. Usually, you know, see a ton of cars and stuff. I feel like I'm the only person, you know. It's I Am Legend, and no, no one's alive anymore. And he's like, I'm going down Main Street, it's always busy. And then he sees the police checkpoint, and he's like, oh, fuck. I'm the only fucking idiot to go down this street. And he even said the cops were like, hey, um, we haven't had anyone come through here in the half hour. Uh, you've seen one come down this way? But it turns out they were actually looking for somebody else. So I think they kind of just, ah, they didn't smell any alcohol and waved them through. But I just thought that was so funny. The whole night he kept saying that. And then Timmy just just forgot and just decided to drive down Main Street and the cops like I said said we haven't had traffic down here in 30 minutes 
So, a little side note, a little funny inside joke with Timmy and Gene and I, and hopefully you guys get it too. So, uh, one day in particular, probably one of the toughest days um, ever on a film shoot. We, we've been doing mostly night shoots and editing and whatnot. So we had a day shoot, an all-day shoot. We shot at Monica's parents' studio who owned a, a photography business. And we had, we had written in this kind of like American Idol-esque uh, audition scene where we're trying to audition for the film that we're making within the film, Lights, Camera, Dead. It's great, you know, three-page scene. Three, it was right, a five-page scene we wrote. And you know, funny. We had all these actors come in and do a fake audition, and we had a blast with it. And um, but we shot so much, and then when you have so many people on set, and it just it just went on all day. I was just so tired. I was acting in it, so I was trying to be that character remember those lines in the back of my mind when they're filming me i'm like that mic is not low enough or is he is the is the framing right i mean i literally would stop say cut and be like that mic is not low enough you know uh it's one of the drawbacks being a producer (laughs) you know i couldn't let a scene go on and then try and be an actor too seeing a flaw such as that because I would have said cut either if it was on another actor, um, if I wasn't in the scene. So I would do that. I'm sure they got annoyed with me for that. But um, so anyway, uh, the time I was living in uh, at an apartment, a little one-bedroom apartment, Gene was sleeping on the couch. And um, we, I had a dog, Duke. Rest in peace, Duke. My, my buddy uh, who I had since I was 18 he went out to California with me to college and awesome he's a little basset hound and he was such a fucking cool dog he was my he was my buddy so anyway so he was cooped up all day 8-10 hours something like that it was, I didn't usually leave him that long but you know I get home and as soon as I got home he'd see me start barking oh, oh, oh. He would bark, which is funny because he never barked until he was about eight years old. Um, uh, and what was interesting, we had his father growing up. And then when later we got a female basset and mated the two. And I kept a puppy and my mom kept a puppy. So, But anyway, he never barked until he was eight. Until one time I was making his dinner and Gene was over and we were talking. And I was kind of distracted by the conversation. So I was taking extra long to make his dinner. And just, you know, mixing some canned meat with dry food. And then all of a sudden he barked. He was like, oh, oh. And literally, I, me and Gene just kind of looked at each other and looked at him. Because it's like, oh, that hurts his dog bark. But it was funny because uh, it was almost like he was saying, yo, shut the fuck up. Make my food and then continue your conversation. And from then on, he barked nonstop when I got home to be walked and to be fed. So, I was coming, uh, I was walking up to my apartment, Gene had to go, actually I don't think he was living at the time, I think he moved out, he met a girl and he hooked up, he was shacking up with her, so, 
So I'm like back to my apartment, and it's I remember it's a Sunday, and I got to work the next day, so I'm like uh, exhausted. So I'm carrying all my camera equipment and trying to get in one load, so I don't have to go back out to my car and going up to my apartment and open the door, and I'm just gonna put it to the side, capture the footage, because yeah, at this time this was mini DV, so you had to actually capture the footage, no instant transfer files from a from a flash card so i walk in i open the door right and i can't stress how achy and tired i am i've been up late like i said it was really a night owl back in the day and i had to get up early for the shoot and also starving and eating so i walk into my apartment and duke am i i was i've always been kind of a neat freak always uh kept my place pretty clean i would go through you know periods where i would be messy but for the most part everything was always very very clean cleaned at least once a week like immaculate you know so i walked in and duke had had projectile diarrhea and had shit everywhere i mean there was, it, it looked like he was trying to spell out SOS or help me, you know, forward and backward. He had shit. Every, it was liquid shit. He had shit. Every, he had just, he had just sprayed the entire floor, every carpet. There was tile in the kitchen and the bathroom. Those are the only places there wasn't shit. He was like, I won't shit on the tile because that would be too easy to clean up. Let me shit on this carpet. Let me do it early so it sits there and stinks and sets in. And I was like, oh my God. You know, I, I, I just, I was so tired. The last thing I wanted to do was even edit. Let alone fucking pick up liquid shit. And that's exactly what I had to do. I let I walked Duke out, and I was just like, "Don't, don't think about it, because just start doing it. Don't stop thinking. It'll be over before you know it." And I got down on my hands and knees, and fucking padded dry my whole carpet. I mean, he went from my dining area into my living room into my bedroom, just shit everywhere. I mean curse of shit he was signing his name or practicing signing his name i mean i i just can't tell you much shit this was okay so this was one of the worst times not so much on a set but after production i was so tired and then i literally spent two hours picking up shit and then scrubbing it out with water and scrub brushes i had rubber gloves on and and resolve and all these chemicals and uh, it was just but you know what I got it all up and it was good and you couldn't even tell which actually reminds me of another funny story that's to do with throw up that I'll tell you real quick I was staying at my um, sister's I went up to go see them it's around the same time actually and I was staying with my brother-in-law and he you know he's a big drinker likes to drink and he uh, if he, he, he's, you know, very good host. He, hey, you want a drink? I'll make you a drink. 
and he will make you drink. And this drink will put you on your ass. He made me a rum and coke, which I, I, I do not like rum, especially since then. But he just made him super strong. We're staying up late talking and stuff. And I was just talking about how... You know, I I think I think it was a time I was really happy about being out of a relationship, and I think I had just broken up with my girlfriend. I literally was on the phone with the distributor who was offering me distribution, and I had agreed to sign on, and she kept beeping in, and I literally clicked over and broke up with her and then clicked back over because I was just like this is what I want she's just I was away for a while I think on production I came back and I was like I don't want to come back to this I'm, I want to go full you know just focus on my career no relationships but the, I think I might have been before then because I was bitching about I just I, I never felt like I had time to edit and, you know um, so anyway I got pretty drunk and <clears throat> I was staying up in their spare bedroom, which later was became my niece's room. But I, um, I drank a lot, drank a lot, broke, dropped the glass, and broke the glass. And I was like, "All right, I think I had enough." I was like, "Yeah, okay." I, I'm, I'm when I'm drunk, I can tell I'm drunk. I'm not expecting that drunk. I'm not like I'm not drunk. Let's go take a drive. No. So my friends would probably disagree, but. <laughs> I can tell when I'm obliviated. Um, so, so I go upstairs to go to bed. All right, that's the last thing I remember. The next morning, I wake up on the couch in their basement, and I am in my boxers, and I am in my sister's pajama top. Okay, yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? So I go into the bathroom, look in the mirror, I go take a leak. I'm like, what the fuck? Look back in the mirror. I had a black eye and a swollen lip and dry blood on my face. I was like, what the fuck happened? So I go to walk upstairs to see what the deal was. And I used to walk past the washing machine dryer. The dryer door was wide open which was weird because the door was usually closed. And I go upstairs, and then my brother-in-law wakes up around then, and my two nephews, and I walk into the spare bedroom, and in the corner was a hellacious pile of fucking puke. And I was just so upset and embarrassed because my sister, you know, they... She doesn't tolerate that kind of behavior, and I just felt awful. And they had such a really nice house. And so uh, I just remember my nephew was like, what smells like potato chips? And obviously it threw up. But so what apparently happened is I blacked out. I fell and hit my face on the desk in the room. And then I vomited in the corner. And then I took off my clothes in the bathroom because I got puke all over them. And then I went downstairs to put them in the washer but I never did. And then I looked in the dryer as if I'd cleaned them and put on clothes I found in the dryer, which happened to be my sister's pajamas, her night top. So that was super embarrassing. But uh, so anyway, <clears throat> um, uh, how the fuck did I get on the throw off? GC? I'm so tired and it's fucking hot as shit in here that I'm... Losing my mind.
Anyway, I guess we're back to... I can't remember. Fuck. Sorry. I'll have to play it back. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, duh, you're a retard. So, anyway, that was one of the worst times after a sad... Well, sad. I mean, it was, it was just nothing bad happened that day, but it was a very trying day as far as production. And then I went home, and then had to pick up shit and I did and all was good and I still got my deposit back at the end of the day or I mean I stayed there for another year I think and then move I think I can't remember so that is it that's my that's my tales from the set very trying time back then so um I think I was talking about getting out of a relationship. And I, I don't know, just became a lab rat for two years, didn't have any social life, and I enjoyed it. Um, I think I met Bree shortly after that, though. Changed my world. So, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, that's it. So, don't forget to follow me on Twitter twitter.com forward slash or backslash I always forget uh, J Straighton S-T-R-A-I-T-O-N you can look me up on you know Facebook and uh, Instagram I really like Instagram uh, that's a cool site I'm into that I dig it um, let me know you like the show please subscribe to us on uh, YouTube or YouTube iTunes and uh, rate and review us and till next Monday it's Tales from the Set. Peace. Yo, I'm back. For my movie pick, that is. And I thought I'd talk about a movie I took my daughter and lovely wife to, uh, mainly for my daughter and me, but, um, and my wife, no, it was for my daughter, but, uh, I try and take her to the movies a lot because I enjoy going to the movies so much and I think she gets a kick out of the movies. She likes watching the movies and watching movies as a kid was just so magical to me. So I, I, I want her to enjoy that. So all the new movies that come out of the theaters, I take her to, even though it's expensive the popcorn's expensive, and she'll want it, and then she won't eat any of it. It's, I'm really paying for the experience. And about the movies, a lot of you don't realize they got to charge those concession fees because the studios who lease the movies to the theater, they get a, the big movies, like the real, real big ones, like, like let's say Avatar, they get 95% of sales while the theater gets like 5%. Yeah, okay. It makes a billion dollars, so they're going to make some money. But think about the other... In the smaller films, they still make maybe 10 or 15% off those films. And they got to have employees and pay rent and maintenance fees and all that shit. So they gotta jack up the prices at the concession stands. That's how they make money. And everyone's always bitching like they're being robbed, but they really don't know, you know, the inside track about it. But anyway, that's my enough with defending the movie theater business. Uh, it's just a great time. I'd hate to see it go away, the theater, you know, with 
things becoming, you know, <clears throat> more uh, attainable, I guess. But uh, we went and saw Big Hero 6. Was that the name of it? Big Hero 6? I think so. I'm usually not this bad, but I am known for screwing up names. Or, yeah, Big Hero 6 was right. Okay. This movie is pretty freaking awesome. I didn't know it was based off a Marvel uh, comic. But, uh, really good movie. Really enjoyed it. Nothing original as far as uh, story, but then again, what is? Um, I mean, the, the really base of the story wasn't that original, but um, all the elements involved. It's basically about this this kid, uh, his name's Hero, and his brother. Um, it, they're both science nerds, and it takes place in kind of an alternative galaxy or dimension. Um, it takes place in like a San Francisco slash Tokyo place, and... <clears throat> They're inventors. He has an older brother. He's trying to be like his older brother uh, in a way, and they invent stuff. And he invents this um, this uh, like robot. It's kind of like a paramedic robot. His brother winds up dying, and you know uh, he's kind of left with this robot. And he winds up modifying it, and come to find out someone stole his invention invention then he realizes there's more to his brother's death than he realized and he investigates it and he, t- he brings his friends along for it and they become this kind of superhero team with their inventions and it's pretty cool it's funny um it's you know it's got some cool shots uh it's really well done uh, it's nonstop. I feel like it's a movie you can watch over and over and over again and still enjoy it. Uh, so I definitely recommend it. It's Big Hero 6. Check it out. And that's it. That's my movie of the week. Peace.